Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. How many of you uh, checked out that chair you're sitting in this morning? You studied it before you sat down? Anybody? You want to take it apart, see where it's made? Is it made in the good old USA? Or did you just sit down? So your faith is not based on your feelings about that chair, although you may have feelings about the color of it or whatever. I mean, we are a Baptist church in our foundation, so we may have opinions about colors, but you didn't really take a moment to examine that. You just sat down, right, assuming that that chair is going to hold you up. Well, the reverse is also true. If you say you believe that that old chair is going to hold you up, but you never sit down, then you're not exercising that which you say you believe in. When we look at Abram, in chapter 12 of Genesis, we understand the simple point is that faith is acting and going on the fact that God is telling the truth. It is accompanied by action. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Genesis chapter 12 introduces us to Abram, who will become Abraham. We'll look at next Sunday. We'll, he'll be Abraham by next Sunday. He'll go through the journey this week, just like many of you who are reading along. You'll cross that story this week. But as we look at going into this journey of Abram, we need a little bit of a backstory from Genesis chapter 11, which is the story of the Tower of Babel. And then the genealogy from Shem to Abram and how we arrive at this young man's calling. At the Tower of Babel, God had confused the language of humanity. They were trying to make a name for themselves. God saw that, heard that, confused their language, and thus they're scattered out just so that their name would not become greater than his. Our job as a church is to always make him known, not ourselves, not our schemes, not our plans, not our strategies. We want to make him known. And now in Genesis chapter 12, as the story or the narrative continues, we skip several generations forward at God's choosing of a man named Abram. In this very special covenant that Abram is made by God to bring about the blessing for the nations, which is ultimately the snake crusher from last week, Genesis 3.15, also known as the Redeemer, also known as Jesus Christ. If you would stand as we read the story of Abram and his calling from Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, 
and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took with him, excuse me, he took his wife Sarai with his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. He built an altar to the Lord there and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. Pray with me. Good morning, Lord. Thank you for your presence this morning in this time of worship. We certainly do not deserve your presence. There is nothing about us that's lovely that would summon you, but it is by your grace and mercy that you look upon this gathering of sinners who gather in the name of Jesus to center our hearts and our affections toward you this morning. So we thank you for your presence. Lord, I pray that you'd help us in our times of doubt to learn from Abram a willingness to leave whatever we consider so dear in our life in order to follow your call and to be your people in a foreign land in this time that we're in. Lord, help us to walk by faith and know that you only speak truth. Father, what we do not know, teach us. What we are not yet, make us for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Friends, God calls us to a journey of faith. As he calls us to Christ, he certainly calls us to a journey of faith. Now, there's about 300 years or so between the flood that we find in chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Genesis and the calling of God upon Abram's life. There's a lot of story there, but we find in chapter 12 hope. We find hope because we see that God is not done moving the story forward, moving redemption forward. God is always going to be moving his people forward, even when we get later into the story of Moses, into the time of the judges, and on down the line, God is always moving his people forward. And there's hope in verse 1 because the Lord spoke to Abram. Anytime God speaks, there is hope. Anytime God speaks, there is grace and mercy to be found. When you open your Bible in the morning to read it or in the evening before you go to bed, anytime you open his word, friend, there is hope for you. And there is God's plan for moving your life forward to make you look more like Christ. The call of God is the very word of God. There could be times in your life if you ever wonder or if you're wondering about uh, God, his presence in your life. Does God care for me anymore? He seems silent. Maybe even you think he has forgotten you. Most likely it's that you didn't do what he told you to do last time, so he's not going to give you something else to do now because what are the chances you're going to obey this time? Go back and do that which he called you to do the first time, then we'll see if God will speak to you again. But anytime we open the word, he is going to speak. This is his word to us. It's a simple reminder that as we open his word, he will bring hope. 
God will never forget his people. Jesus has said he will be with the church to the end of the age, and I firmly believe him. And so as we are walking with him, if we sense that God is silent, open the word and read. The journey of faith always begins with God's calling us to a relationship with him. He isn't calling Abram here because Abram has it all together. Rather, it is God's sovereign choice to call Abram at this point, and in doing so, to call him out of a very dark place. Abram is in the land of Ur, his homeland, the Chaldeans. It's, it's, it's not a bright, shining city on a hill, okay? It's not like Abram's the salt of the earth and where he lives is the salt of the earth. There's no thousand points of light, as a former president called us to as a nation. They're, they're lost. They're pagan. They worship multiple false gods in this land. It's been said that the religious landscape of Ur was as sophisticated and pagan and claustrophobic as anything that the Egyptians would have known, which we'll get to when we get to the book of Exodus. Anything that the Babylonians would have seen and experienced, that's the time of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and so many other points in time and history of Israel. This place that Abraham is, it's a desolate And it's barren of the knowledge of God. There's nothing there for Abram. And at this point in the story, there's no hope anywhere, really, except in God's calling and choosing of Abram to go to a land that he will show. So there's no light on the horizon. There's no prophet preparing the way in the wilderness like John the Baptist. There's no blessing of any kind of anything of the future except that which was spoken at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 to Adam and Eve that there is this snake crusher, there is this redeemer coming, but in this point, we're on down the line in the history of of creation and mankind, and then God spoke. He spoke into the darkness. He spoke into uh, Abram's life. He spoke into the paganism, the false gods. He spoke into that situation that Abram was, and he says, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house. Leave everything you know to a place I'm gonna show you. A call to leave everything that he knew, everything that he held dear. Go out from your land, your homeland. Leave your family. Leave your home to a place that I'm going to show you. Leave behind your culture. Leave behind your language. Leave behind your close family, your support system, your relatives. Gather your belongings because you won't be coming back to this house. Abram, I'm, gonna, I'm calling you to leave it all and Go with me to a place that I'm going to show you. Now, did Abram have any question as to where he was going? Well, we're not giving that. It says he went. God didn't forget to tell him it's a journey of faith. If Abram had seen where he was going and what he would have to do, and how long it would take for him to have a son, and that God would call him to sacrifice that son, I don't think Abram would have gone. A journey of faith is a journey where we don't get to see five steps ahead, but we trust the one who's calling us. Remember, faith is the reality of what is hoped for and the proof of what is not seen. Now, Some of us might have decided to 
bargain with God. Let's make some alternate plans, God. Let's, let's give me a little hint about what this is going to look like and, and where we're going. But the calling is just rather vague. It's uncertain. He just knows that God is going to show him this place. John Calvin pointed out here that uncertainty forced Abram to trust God's word even more. It's really a test of faith, isn't it? God calls us, but he doesn't give us the full answer. He doesn't let us see everything there is to see. So either that uncertainty is either going to drive us deeper into faith, trusting him more, or that uncertainty is a test of your faith to show, well, maybe I don't believe everything I say I believe. That's the choice that, we're, that we have, but that's the journey of faith. Uncertainty forces us to, it should force us to trust God's word even more. It's a call to forsake everything, to trust his word. This is the call of Jesus. This is the exact call of Jesus. To the one who loves a father or mother more than me, Jesus said in Matthew 10, is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, Jesus is using what we call hyperbole there. He's making a big example to prove a point. Mark chapter 8, verse 35, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. We don't get to see the end picture of where he's calling us or what he's calling us to do. We're walking by faith. We're trusting him along the journey. And as we are trusting that and walking by faith, that means that he is making us look more like Christ. That's the goal. That's the point for his glory and our good. The call of the gospel calls you to rest all of your hope, all of our hope on the word of Christ and his promises. Nothing else. He doesn't tell us all the time where we will go in this life, but he has promised to take us where he is. That's the ultimate prize, isn't it? He will take us where he is. He promised that he would come back in John 14 for his disciples, and the book of Revelation tells us that he will come back again for the church, and he will take us where he is. That is the ultimate prize. So along this journey, we understand not only is it a journey of faith, but it requires trust in God's promises. In verses 2 and 3, God doesn't stop speaking. He just continues by attaching to this difficult command to leave everything, this blessed covenant, this promise. There is an assurance here of blessing for Abraham. Should Abram trust and obey him? By the way, sometimes I slip up and say Abraham because that's, that will be his name, but I mean Abram for right now in chapter 12. He's still Abram. Don't, don't get confused like me. All right. Look at this awesome blessing in verses two and three. I will make you, there's seven of them. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Friends, when God calls us to sacrifice, to take up our cross, it's accompanied by the promise of blessing. As we're walking in obedience, there's, we see this, the seven layers of this promise or seven promises that God makes to Abram. And this covenant is going to be repeated multiple times throughout all the generations, even leading up to the point where the, the promise is realized in Christ and fulfilled. We might miss verses two and three if we're formulating a counteroffer to God. Okay, God, I'll go, but I want to do this first. But we don't want to counteroffer God, right? We're going to put our counteroffer on the table and miss 
this list of blessing that God is promising Abram. We're busy making our list of pros and cons. Will I follow? Will I not? What are the pros of following God by faith? What are the cons of not following? Like, you know, we, we kind of just go about making our counteroffer and totally miss the blessing that God had here. And so I want to hear what the book of James tells us. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak, especially when you open the word of God. Be quick to listen to the Lord. There are times, especially now, when we need to relax just a little bit and turn off the noise of the world and listen to the word of God. Open up the word of God. Not what your devotional is saying to you or someone else's thoughts, but open up the word of God and read it. Dig in and find what God has for you in his word. A.W. Tozer called this a daily discipline to quiet the heart. Turn off the noise of the world and just listen to the word of God. Everything he has to say is right and true and just and noble and holy and pure. And I could go on and on and on with my descriptions. When the heart is quiet before the Lord, you can and will know that he is God. His word promised that. Stop fighting, he said, and know that I am God. Exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. The New American Standard translated that as cease striving. Stop fighting. Be still and know that I am God. Tozer also pointed out that what God calls us to and has for us is not based on who we are, but rather who he is. This call upon Abram's life, the, the promises of being a blessing, becoming a great nation, those things are not because of who Abram is, but rather because who God is. And that God had a plan to make his name known to the nations, to bless the people with the Redeemer. These covenant promises that God made to Abram are, are renewed multiple times, as I've already said, to Isaac, to Jacob, on down the line. When he says, I will make you into a great nation, it's interesting there because it's not reality. At this point, it's not reality. Abram is not a great nation. He can't have children, and his wife is barren. They have no, they have no one to, to take the inheritance. They're not a great nation. You will have a great name, and it's, it's not which, what's interesting to me about that is the people at, at the Tower of Babel, the builders, humanity, they were trying to build that tower to make a great name for themselves. And now in chapter 12, we see that God is turning the tables on that and he's gonna give Abram a great name. It's not because of Abram, it's because God's gonna make Abram's name great. And because of Abram's name and his journey of faith, the God of Israel, Yahweh, is gonna become known. People are gonna hear about this God. They're gonna know that he is true, that he keeps his blessings. Then he goes on into a global blessing. And I quickly just point out to you that the last piece of this promise of God here to Abram is one that we call on and trust in even still today in verses six and seven. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Friend, that is the promise that points us to Jesus Christ. That is the gospel and the call of Abram. This is the call and I'll show you. In Acts chapter three, verse 25, Peter is preaching and he says to the crowd listening, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, that's Abram, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. In Galatians chapter three, verses eight and nine, Paul's writing to the Gentiles, and he says, the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham. 
saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Right here is the gospel. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. How is that possible? Because God is going to bring forth from Abraham and his lineage the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. That is the gospel. All the nations, not just for the Jews, but all the nations. Friends, we are here today. We call on the name of Jesus today because of this promise right here. All the nations will be blessed through you. And if you have never confessed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life and confessed your sins before him and asked him for forgiveness, then you can today, because of this promise, find salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Those who have faith, Paul went on to say, are blessed with Abraham who had faith. Abraham was blessed, and because of that promise and the fulfillment of that promise in Jesus, you are blessed as well. Paul went on to write in the same chapter to the churches in Galatia, the promises in verse 16, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Here's how we know this is Jesus. Listen, he does not say and to seeds as if there's more than one or referring to many, but referring to just one and to your seed who is Christ, the Messiah. What you're hearing in the New Testament is that these glorious promises to Abram are fulfilled in Jesus. And just like Abram who believed God and trusted in God's promises, you and I are called to trust God and the promise of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us at the cross. That's the good news of the Redeemer. That's the blessing. It goes out to Abram some 4,000 years in the land of darkness called Ur of the Chaldeans. God called Abram out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Guess what? That's exactly what the New Testament calls us to when we come to Christ. He says we have come out of, marvel, uh, out of darkness into this marvelous light. And it is our business now to believe the promises of God and to walk by faith, to proclaim this fulfilled promise to the world. Just as Psalm 117 calls us to. Praise the Lord, all nations, glorify him, all peoples, not just the Jews, all peoples, all nations, for his faithful love to us is great. The Lord's faithfulness endures forever. Hallelujah. But here's the catch. Faith is accompanied by obedience because the journey of faith demands obedience. What does verse four say? It says, so Abram went, no, Abram sat, no, Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. At the ripe old age of 75, Abram didn't hang up his shepherd's staff and call it quits. He kept going. At the age of 75, he left everything he knew to follow God. He wasn't alone. He took his nephew Lot, which is gonna cause some problems later, and Sarai, his wife, and several others that are, that are his. And as awesome as these promises are that God has given him and how gracious God had been to Abram, Abram still had the choice to make. Would he go with God? Would he follow him? Or would he just stay put? I mean, after all, he's got a good life there. His dad has built a little bit of an empire there. there there's good land there. Everything they need is there. He didn't have to alter his plans. But he does. He believes this call of God. He believes the promises that God has given him. And he leaves. He leaves. 
That's what an example, it's quite an example of what it looks like to walk with God. He heard the call of God, he heard the word of God, he trusted in the promises of God, and he left. He obeyed that calling. As you and I are called into the word of God, we hear his word, we trust his word, we obey. We obey. If we allow God's word to go beyond our ears and into our heart, I believe we will find there a a stimulation in his word. The Holy Spirit that moves you to do what God is calling you to do. We drown out the noise of the world and we let his word speak to our heart. We hear God, we trust God, we obey God. So what about you? I want you to ask yourself this very simple question. Am I obeying the Lord? If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write that down. Am I obeying the Lord? Are there any commandments I've not accomplished yet? Are there any commandments or callings that I'm ignoring? I want you to write them down. And then this final question, you ask yourself, why are they not done yet? Friends, obedience to God is birthed out of a trust in God and his word. There are probably some very real reasons why you're not obeying. You don't care what God says. Then he isn't the Lord of your life. We don't believe what he says. Then you don't trust him and his promise. You don't understand what he says. You lack wisdom. Well, there is an answer for that in Scripture. It's because you fail to ask for it. The Bible says if you lack wisdom, ask for it. Now, if you're a Christian and you struggle with obedience, it comes down to faith. Do you believe what, what God says? Do you believe that God's way is going to work out for the best? I mean, that's what we have to, to go by in the New Testament. Romans 8, 28, right? Some of you can quote that by memory. We know that all things work together for what? For the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Now, that doesn't promise an easy life, but when you're walking by faith, it promises that God's plan is working out for your good. If you love God and you're called according to his purpose, well, in Christ, we're called according to his purpose. We're walking by faith. He's going to work that out but we gotta keep going in the journey. Listen, we take a look at Abram and and we see that God isn't going to leave you out there all alone. He doesn't leave Abram. Now, there are times, in fact, in verse 10, if you keep reading, you will see that Abram gets ahead of God, which is tragic. He'll do that more than once. Thinking that, oh, okay, here comes a big problem. I need to get ahead of this before it becomes a problem and he doesn't let God work it out and then it becomes an even bigger problem because Abram got ahead of God. (laughs) And he lies about his wife and who she is. But we understand even in that, God isn't going to leave you out there. He doesn't just leave Abram hanging. He fixes the problem. Jesus has promised to be with us, the church, until the end of the age, and we need to remember that promise. And here's one last thing I'll point out to you this morning. The journey of faith leads you to be in the presence of God. This journey leads you to be in the presence of God. When you're walking by faith, It's the best place to be in Christ. The best place to be is always in the center of his will, nowhere else. 
As Abram travels from place to place, he's passing through these, this list of, uh, of locations. He's passing through the promised land. God says, Everywhere, what you're seeing right here, I'm going to I'm gonna give it to your people. Which is interesting because still at this point, he has no people. But it's coming. Everywhere he sees, everywhere he goes, it's the promised land. There are some very significant locations here. Shechem, Bethel, and several others that he sees. But what I find here is that when, when God is speaking to him, when God speaks directly to him, such as verse 7, he's at Shechem at the Oak of Morah, which is another side note. But the Lord here appeared to Abram and he said, to your offspring, I will give this land. What does he do? When the Lord speaks to him, he built an altar. Every time he builds an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Again, at the end of verse 8. He's camping between Bethel and Ai, and there he builds an altar to the Lord, and it says he called on the name of the Lord. Interestingly enough, Martin Luther translated that word he called to he preached. He proclaimed the name of God. It's interesting, going back to the Oak of Morah there in verse 6, that's the place that historians have, have figured out smarter than me, by the way, that the pagan Canaanites would gather there to listen to the oracles of their, I guess you, we call them soothsayers. Sooth, and, and so as they're, they're trying to tell the future and do all their little magical incantations or whatever else they're trying to summon up there, here it is in the middle of Canaanite opposition, in the middle of Canaanite idolatry, in the middle of all of this place, Abram has heard the word of God at this place a place that's very similar to his home when it comes to, to the religions around him. And there he is worshiping at the altar that he built, the one true God who's appeared to him in the promised land, yet again, bringing another promise that I will give this land to your offspring. Friends, there are sweet moments when we're going through the journey of faith, when we come to a place where we are reminded of God's faithfulness. And that's what this is for Abram. The second time he preaches the name of the Lord, he calls on the name of the Lord, he lets it be known in this pagan land that they are following and worshiping and serving Yahweh, the one true and living God, the great I am. Now, as we follow Jesus, we are on the same journey of faith. We have the same promises from God. Some of them have kind of already shared, but one is this. First off, he invites you to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. That is an invitation for every believer, that we take up our cross, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Anyone who wants to follow after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet uses, loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? Friend, there is nothing that you can do to earn that eternal life. There's nothing you can do to earn Christ. We follow by faith and we trust in his work at the cross. You can't exchange your life to gain anything. You can't gain everything the world has to offer and find the forgiveness of your sin and find eternal life. There is no benefit to gaining the entire world. This is the call of Jesus upon your life. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. I heard an old sermon one time, an old preacher. He just simply said it this, there's one thing you knew about a man who was carrying a cross out of town. He wasn't coming back. Think about that. He wasn't coming back. 
take up your cross and follow him. It means we ain't going back. We're following Jesus. We're going to believe by faith and we're trusting in this journey of faith. He also, in that invitation to follow him and taking up our cross, it's also an invitation to remember that he is with you. He is with you. So live in the presence of God. Live in the presence of God. You don't have to wait for Sunday to worship him. Worship is a lifestyle. Paul tells the Thessalonians to pray constantly, pray without ceasing. Jesus reminded his disciples, I am with you to the end of the age. Romans chapter 12, verse one, Paul wrote, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to offer your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Friends, as we're on this journey of faith, we are constantly building altars to worship God. When we open his word, we're constantly at the throne of grace to offer worship and praise for his work in our life, taking us through this journey. Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well, but an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It's not bound to a time and location. And finally, we remember this beautiful promise that he is going to come again and bring his people into a heavenly city. I won't take time to read the last two chapters of Revelation. I would encourage you to do that, though, and be reminded of that promise that he is coming back to take us to a place that he has prepared for us, a place that we have not seen. It's the same promise. I'm coming back for you, and I'll take you to a land that I'll show you. Friends, here it is. Just like Abram, we have to walk by faith, and we too Walk by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, I'll close with this. Verse eight. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in a land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. We don't get to see all those steps ahead of us. We just walk by faith. And we're careful to not overstep God as he leads us. As long as we're following God, we're trusting in Christ, we're trusting his word, We have absolutely nothing to fear.